Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, powered by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we go on the water with some of the top athletes from three events, show skiing, barefooting, and everything in between. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hit It podcast. I had the opportunity to sit down and interview the reigning world and masters women's trick champion, Anna Gay. Just a couple of weeks away from her graduation from the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, we talk about her collegiate experience, how she would juggle that with professional skiing and her studies, and what to expect from her going into masters at the end of May and also the rest of 2022. Also, Anna's going to be rolling out her own website with instructional trick videos And we briefly touch on that at the end of the episode. You're not going to want to miss this one. Here's my interview with the reigning world champion, Anna Gay. Well, welcome to the virtual studio. We are here today with Anna Gay. Anna, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, Super. I mean, it's uh, the start of the ski season, so I couldn't be happier myself. I'm trying to get out on the water and Things seem to be hitting on all cylinders as we get ready and rocking and rolling going into 2022. Um, I was actually noticing your social media the other day. You're getting closer to graduation. Is that correct at the University of Alabama? Yes, I graduate a week from tomorrow. So May May 6th, I graduate. And so it's hard, hard to believe I've been here for four years. But yes, I graduate graduate next week. Well, it's been an incredible year leading up to this graduation year. Uh, I mean, last season, AWSA Trick Skier of the Year, you have two Masters titles after last year, three World Championship titles. Uh, so much has been done already, and now you're just graduating college. So it's like the story's just getting started. Uh, how do you feel going into 2022? I'm super excited. I mean, I had a great year last year. I I really am thankful for everything um, that I was able to do last year and just for like the people that were able to help me be being a collegiate athlete. I think it is hard. It takes a lot. It takes a village. I mean, it really does. You need a lot of help. And I am so grateful to have that. Um, and I'm super excited. I mean, I'm graduating. I'm going to be going back home. Um, so I'll be back with my family, back with my dad. Um, and so I'm super excited about that to be back in Orlando, um, do some more tournaments. I'm look, really looking forward to that. Excellent. Yeah. And I wanted to touch briefly on collegiate water skiing, because that's something on the Hit It podcast we haven't really had the time to really get into. And it is a flourishing community of water skiers of all ranges. So from uh, the professional level, all the way down to people who just may have walked on campus and saw an advertisement, hey, come join the ski team. Um, What has your experience been? I mean, the University of Alabama has been in the mix at the top of the podiums for a long, long time on the national scene. But I I really feel like Alabama in the last couple of years, there's been a surge in recruiting and there's a lot of good things happening there. So what's going on there at Alabama? Yeah, I mean, we we have a phenomenal team. It was already really, really good when I came in here as a freshman. We had a really good freshman class come in. Um, and then from there, we just really started recruiting. I mean, Sean and I really talked about it. We're like, hey, like, let's really try and get get recruiting. Um, and we want really good skiers, but we wanted really good kids. We just wanted to build a team of really great people. 
uh, who love to water ski together. And so I feel like as a team, Alabama has really, really stepped up and really done that. And so we, we had a great, great class under us. I mean, Brooke Baldwin came in, uh, we have Brett Sackpole, we have Bailey Grafall, and then, I mean, under them, it's Garrett Reese and John Luce and Will Roberts. I mean, we just have an incredible, incredible class below us. And so we've, we've uh, had a great time. We've had really good, um, really good seasons and we're hoping to win a national championship. And we've got, we got two seconds and a third my freshman year. Um, but I mean, overall, we've just had a really, really great team and just we've built a lot of depth. And I think that's really important in collegiate skiing as a, as a skier, it's a really a individual sport, but collegiate skiing that really takes it to, to a new level. And you really need to have depth and be strong as a team. Well, and you touched on that when it comes down to recruiting, typically we don't think of recruiting except in collegiate skiing and uh, having really a five member team on each side. So uh, a women's team, a men's team, the combination at collegiate nationals, of course, five skiers are selected for each individual event. And then the top four scores actually count towards the total team score. Uh, the depth you spoke about, I mean, it's, it's right there. It's right on the cuffs of a national championship mm -hmm. with a couple of seconds. Uh, who do you, who are you looking to right now? I know that you're, you're phasing out, but it uh, looks like uh, Louisiana Lafayette kind of was on the rise in the last couple of years. Now I'm a, uh, a fellow alumni uh, Monroe person, so I can't speak too highly of the Raging Cajuns. But uh, where, where is where are they stacking up currently in collegiate skiing as far as who's the big competition out there? Definitely ULL. Yeah, we've been chasing their tails for the past couple of years. They're doing a phenomenal job. I mean, they have a really strong team. And so we're always trying to chase them as far as um, I think we have a super strong team as well, but it's just hard for us all to perform um, like they do. I mean, they just don't mess up. So it's, it's hard for us. I mean, but we do have a really strong team full of really good skiers. And so they're definitely, definitely in the running for first every year. And we're kind of just trying to chase them. Um, but yeah, I mean, touching on the five skiers, I mean, you get four scores and the fifth one doesn't count. So you do get one drop score. But just because you have good skiers on your team doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. I mean, you have to have depth. This year, uh, this past Nationals, I was our drop score. I mean, I, I had Worlds the week before and then came to Collegiate Nationals and I just fell on my third trick. And wow. so I was the drop score. So even though I had just won Worlds the week before and I was on the Alabama water ski team, that didn't do them any good because then I was the drop score. Um, so it really is everybody has to do their part in order to get enough points. And you, and you raise an interesting uh, situation there. I always felt like there was no way for me to even contribute to my team at Monroe at the time. I mean, we had Alexei Zornasek, Ryan Dodd, uh, Martin Bartolski, Daniel Ovarko, Adam Sedemeyer, uh, yeah. Natalia Bernakova, Kate Adrianson. I mean, it was loaded super strong yeah. yeah super strong and it was like I was always that fifth guy and I'm like well maybe I could just maybe give one point but then if I gave one point that means somebody fell yeah right. yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so, well tell us a little bit about being a student athlete because uh the University of Alabama obviously a, a world-renowned school 
a lot of majors there, a lot of disciplines that people can come there and study. What have you chosen to study and how have you been able to balance that with your skiing? Because not only are you committed to the collegiate water ski team, like what you said, hey, look, I was competing at the world championship. So you kind of have your individual schedule going along with collegiate skiing and being a student athlete. Yeah, so I came in um, as a nursing major. I, I got accepted into the nursing program the summer of 2020, uh, right when the pandemic hit. And so that was an interesting introduction into the nursing field. I think things were very different then than they ever had been. And so we did lots of online learning, which was different. Um, trying to do nursing online was, was challenging in and of itself, even though nursing in person is challenging as well. Doing nursing school and skiing, I think, was extremely challenging for me. I, I had had a very busy schedule in high school. I, I skied, I ran cross country, I took AP classes. I mean, I, I really did have a busy schedule. But then when I started nursing school, my life can, was consumed by school and skiing, and that was it. I mean, I woke up at 5 a.m. to read my nursing school textbooks and then went to ski and then went to class and then studied the rest of the day. That was really my life for a little while. It was it was very challenging. Last semester was school and world and collegiate nationals and all of that. I mean, that was that was a tough semester. That was my hardest semester in nursing school. And then I had world as well and collegiate nationals back to back. So yeah, that was that was a struggle. That was that was really, really challenging. It oh it it was exhausting, but I think it was just a challenging chapter. Um, and I, I'm currently not in nursing school. I had to drop due to some medical reasons, unfortunately. And so I'm graduating with a human environmental science degree. Okay. Um, I'm not Sounds, even. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, I, there's a lot on your plate there. That was I very mean, last minute. However, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a lot on my plate and there, it was, it was a struggle, but I mean, there was only so much I can do and then I need help outside of that. And so the only reason I could do what I was able to do was with outside help. I mean, especially with skiing, skiing, you can't do on your own. And so having the rest of Ski Bama there, having Lyman there, he, I mean, he was always willing and ready to pull me. Uh, my dad came up a couple of times to help me out, but I mean, I really had a strong strong group of people behind me and so that's really the only reason I was able to do what I could do well that's an amazing accomplishment and then I mean like I listed him off coming off another world championships and I and I'll get to this in a second because I think it's really important um, I think there's two divisions that have really rose to another level over the course of the last five to ten years and one of those has been women tricks along with women's slalom. And we'll talk a little bit more about women's tricks and how competitive that event has become. But uh, rolling right around the corner. I mean, we've got the last chance qualifiers, the LCQs, and those, those basically get you in a position to punch your ticket to masters. I assume you're gonna be going to those, but I wanted to hear what your schedule was. Yes, so I, well, I actually don't have to go to them because I won last year. So I already punched my ticket in because of that win. Um, but I will go. I'm unfortunately not able to go to Corey's LCQ, which is the first one next week because I graduate. So I, I'm going to graduation and then I'll be going home and I will go to both Drew's and Jack's. For me, it's just a really, really good way to be like, okay, 
here's where you're at. Here's where you need, need to focus on some different variations of tricks or whatever it is, and then go home and practice that. And so for me, it's just a really good, good chance to just see where I'm at and then improve from there. That's a good point because I always think, you know, when I'm announcing the masters, we obviously announce the event, we call out the champion, but I've never really thought about kind of celebrating the moment, but then also, you know, a couple of weeks after you know, well, I'll punch my ticket into next year. I don't, I, yeah. I've never really thought, does that go through your mind after you win? Like I've already, I've already kind of punched my ticket in. So at least I don't have to worry about that LCQ portion of the season. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, that's one of the hardest things to do is just to qualify for the masters. And so just to be able to breathe a little bit, knowing, okay, like I don't even have to worry about that is really nice, especially because with graduation and all the things that come with that and moving out and like just being super busy with finals, like all of those things play a part too, that make it a little more challenging to ski. And then we finish school and I mean, LCQs are right there that next weekend. So so it is kind of nice just to be able to not have to worry about that too much. Although it's also a good, good reason to really kick up your training and try and be tricking what you want to trick at the masters early, earlier in that month of May. So it is, it is good. There are pros and cons to all of it, but I think for me, yeah, I, I go to them anyways, just, just for practice. So this women's trick event in the last five to 10 years has been something to watch. I mean, we really have, seen a lot of spectacular things happen in this event. Really, it's it's kind of led by three skiers, yourself, Neely Ross, and Erica Lang. And world records have been traded, championships have been traded. We've seen the podium, it starts to shift all the time. I remember a couple of masters ago, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but Britt and Ton Larson actually joined me in the booth to call tricks and they were just blown away. They just could not believe what yeah. you guys were doing out there, the speed you were doing, how clean the tricks were, the difficulty of tricks. Uh, I was even having to explain what flips you were doing on the microphone at that, at, at that time. And it was a really special time to have them in there because they're legends in the sport and the trick event. And for them to come back and see, it's like, whoa, the sport is in really, really good hands with all of the competition. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about that because I assume going into a tournament like the Masters, there's probably a trick run or a level, right? You want to punch your ticket first into the finals, and then you want to, you know, obviously end up on the top of the podium. But that marker has moved up over the years. It used to be, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, under 9,000 points, and then it went, you know, into the mid nines. And now we're talking about 10. And it's not uncommon in these preliminary rounds to see, trick runs go into the 10,000s just to get into the finals. So I wanted to get your perspective on how you put together a program to go into a tournament like the Masters. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, it seems like if you want to get top three, you almost have to trick 10,000. I mean, that's kind of how it's the trend has been going the last couple of years. I mean, even like, you can fall, but like Erica, Neely, or I like, we're probably still going to trick in the high nines, mid nines. And so it's like the competition is just, it's crazy. Even Janina Bonman's tricking over 10,000 points. Um, and so, I mean, there's that aspect of it is really challenging because ultimately you can't fall, you can't mess up, you can't really lose anything or you're automatically just not on the podium whatsoever. Um, so it definitely pushes the competition a lot. It, um, it challenges us as skiers to just 
put together bigger runs because if you want to win, you're going to have to trip probably mid tens to even high tens now. Um, sometimes it's lower tens, but I mean, now it really is trending up into the higher 10,000 point range. And so it's really challenging you to swap out maybe one easy trick you now have in your run to something that might be your hardest trick. So where I would do ski line back to back second trick, now I'm trying to swap it out for a ski line five front. And that, I mean, the risk that comes with that is huge because if I don't land that trick, I mean, that's my second trick. So I get one, one trick and I fall or, or whatever it is. I mean, I could do ski line five front, great. And then um, I actually did that at the masters one year. I did ski line five front, perfect. And I missed ski line back to back. I just like mm. went inside the line. So even it, you know, it, it all, it changes the variation and the sequence of those tricks. And then that can be challenging. And so I, I mean, I love tricking. I think it's so cool. I mean, even at the masters, I think that year that I did ski line five front, I was coming into the course planning on doing ski line back to back. And my dad heard the score and then gave me a hand signal and was like, no, you need to do ski line five front. And so like wow. it swapped in like a second, I was going for ski line back to back. And then I was going for ski line five front. And sometimes it depends how I land that first trick too. Like if I land my first trick and there's no, like, I know for a fact, I won't land it, then it's not worth it to do it. So I just keep going. But yeah, I mean, things like that change all the time too, with, with having to trick really high scoring runs, you see more falls. I think it's just riskier even last year at the masters or this past year at worlds, like you see that in the guys division a lot, the they're just going all for 12,000 points. And then, so some of them, they're going so hard that you see the podium actually way less because they're all going for 12,000 or even a little above. And then they fall short. And so like the podium's actually not as high as you might see in the past, but they're all going for crazy, crazy runs. Sure. Sure. Well, you've mentioned your dad, Russell Gay a couple of times and not to leave him out of this conversation because he's a he's a huge role in your skiing and has been a huge role uh, an athlete masterline ropes quantum skis so many things that he's doing for the sport and the specifically the sport of trick skiing the knowledge that he brings to the table I can't imagine mm -hmm. I would imagine you guys are skiing together Anna this trick's working this is not working I like this run I maybe not there's probably multiple scenarios that you have, but how do those conversations go leading up to the tournament? Let's just say you're having difficulty with a particular run. Is, is he the one that kind of says, well, I think we should do this. What do you think? And how does that get consideration? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, a lot of the time, if I'm struggling, then I'm like, okay, dad, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I really need help. Like, what am I doing wrong? What can I fix? So I, I mean, I'd be typically frustrated and be like, okay, what, what do I need to do? I need to figure this out. A lot of the time that happens before a big tournament, my last set or second to last set or whatever it is, is like the worst. Like I could yeah. be skiing great all week and then it's just absolutely terrible. And I'm like, well, there goes all your confidence that you just had. But yeah, I mean, he's really plays a big part because he knows just so much. He can calculate things so quick. Okay. This person went out and did this. They fell on this trick or I mean, just by watching the sport for so many years, he can just like eyeball it and be like, okay, that was fast or nope, that was a little slow. They got their last trick out. You can do this run now. Whereas I might not be paying as close of attention. I'm going, you know, to get ready or warming up or whatever it is. He's paying attention. I'm really, really watching. And he's there to help me. Okay. This is kind of where you need to go. 
that's extremely helpful. And I think the way we train is helpful too. I mean, I don't all, I, I might be um, a little different with this, but I mean, I don't always warm up like a super long time or have some set routine that I do. Sometimes it's me getting the lake, even at school, jumping out of the car and going to ski. And sometimes I think that's helpful. I'm, I've learned to ski in all different conditions, all different variations. I mean, I'm not always perfect mindset to go ski. And so sometimes I think that's helpful. It's helped me change things on a whim, I think a little bit, a little bit easier. Um, Very cool. Just curious, is Russell still uh, skiing in the LCQs to try to punch his ticket into Masters? Because, I mean, he he has been so close at a couple of these Masters in the last, I think, five years. Mm-hmm. Not only getting in the final, but like these runs look really, really good. And you talk about one or two tricks that yeah. might be just like right on the fringe. Where, where is he at in his skiing these days? I don't think he's going to ski LCQs this year. Um, he was signed up for World last year and hadn't skied since like Malaysia, I guess. And he was like, the day before goes, oh, I'm on the list. Maybe I should go practice. Should I ski? I don't know. Should I ski? And I'm like, dad, you haven't skied in like two years. <laughs> um, so he, he, he skis a little bit, but not too much. He, he gets wrapped up with all the things that we're doing and Masterline. And I think things are super busy. So his skiing takes a backseat. But I think the reason he likes doing it the most is being able to do it all together. And so thankfully, like I've had five or six masters I don't know a ton where we skied together and then I think one where my dad and I skied and my brother so we had three of us there one year and so that's very cool very cool so we'll we'll no doubtably be there cheering for you at masters what does the rest of the season look like in 2022 oh my gosh I was just like looking at this the other day I hadn't even had a chance to sit down and look at it I'm like oh my gosh I gotta figure this out I don't know. Right now I'm looking at some overall tournaments. They have the overall pro tour kind of going this year. So I'm looking at doing some of those. I'm going to the world games in Birmingham in July. And so I'm super excited about that. That's an hour from Tuscaloosa where we typically ski. So that's a really cool aspect of that. I think there's a Pan Am games at the end of the year, not a Pan Am games, Pan Am championship. And there's, maybe some slalom tournaments that I might enter. I don't know. We'll see nice. nationals, kind of all those, those types of things. So it's looking like a very busy, busy summer. That's for sure. Very uh, cool. Well, I, here's I, a good, excited. here's a good question as that segues, because obviously the women's trick division is elevating, right? I mean, the, the tricks that are going to be required, you mentioned even J- Janina. I mean, she's really come on strong in the last couple of years really interested to see what she's been going to be able to do in the LCQs and then leading up. So, I mean, there's going to be four or five skiers that are going to be in the mix foreseeably going forward that could get on the podium first, second, or third. What, what is your personal goal? What are you aiming for? I think that's an interesting question because there's always a lot of conversation, like you mentioned in the 10,000s. And usually that's where we are at a big tournament, but do you foresee a day we could have two, three, four skiers tricking over 11,000 points consistently. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, Erica tricked 11,000 points yesterday, I think a fluid tournament. And so she's, I mean, she's done it multiple times. That's definitely one of my goals this year. I'd love to trick over 11,000. I mean, I've tried many times with many runs and oh my gosh, it's so hard. It's, uh, it's 
that one's challenging. That one, that one gets you. Um, but yes, I would love to check over 11,000. I mean, that's a huge point barrier that I would love to break. And with that, I mean, if you've got, I'm sure Neely's probably wanting to do the same thing. So if you've got a couple of us wanting to check 11, then yeah, absolutely. The point barriers and the tournaments and everything is going to be much higher. And I mean, Erica's done it a few times, so she's fairly consistent with it. And so if she starts doing that at big tournaments, then that's going to kind of force everybody to follow suit. And so I think that's kind of what pushes you too, is watching other people come up and do huge scores and then realizing that might be what it takes to win the Masters this year. I mean, if she's going to do 11,000 fairly consistently, then what's stopping her from doing it at the Masters? And so, I mean, you run risk with that, but like also, I mean, that would be a huge, huge score. So, and also very cool for a women's trick team just to see somebody go over that 11,000 point barrier. Well, and that's when seating too becomes so crucial of how you ski in the preliminaries because, Absolutely. you know, if for some reason, Erica goes out first and then you have to watch an 11,000 point run, then you might be thinking, well, what am I going <laughs> to yeah. do to change our run? And then it, you know, begs the question. I mean, nobody's out there trying to ski for second and third. So it's like, well, do I go for broke? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, what, what's your thought on that, by the way, as watching runs that go before you mm-hmm. that, you know, are pretty big and you're going to have to put together a bigger run. I typically like being top seed. I think that has come with experience. I didn't always like being top seed. It made me extremely nervous. And I, it was just a lot of pressure. I mean, you watch everybody else go out and they did really well and you're still sitting there on the dock and you haven't gone yet. And so it just, I think, creates some more nerves. Now, now I like it because I feel fairly confident in my runs that I do. I think having a ton of experience going to all these tournaments, I've learned like mentally how I compete and so I think that has helped me as well. So I like going last off the dock. I think it gives me more options. I don't have to go for the biggest run if I don't have to because of whatever they've done before. And so I think things like that are helpful for me. That doesn't always happen because in the prelims, I'm not always shooting to be top seed most of the time. My prelims goal is, okay, go out there, stand up, let's make the finals. Like that's really it. And typically like my, the prelims is my best score. I typically always do best in the prelims anyways because it's a little less pressure but I mean yeah the goal for me is always just to stand up like go out there and just stand up whatever you do just don't fall like halfway through your run that's kind of a that's kind of a big thing what trick would you like to learn that you can't do now probably half jack um like where you do the inverted back coming in I that one I I can't do that I like I've tried that or ski line up. Those two, I just cannot do. I don't know why. I cannot do it. So I've been trying, but th- those ones are hard for me. So those would be two big ones that I think I would like to learn. I finally trying to get my front flip and reverse consistent. So hopefully that can help me out a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, now at this point, you're you're swapping out like my back to front flip um, with a reverse front flip. And now it eh, <laughs> it makes it a lot more challenging just physically just to get through a run oh my gosh I do one run I'm like oh my gosh I can't breathe Um, (laughs) but it's fun I mean it's super fun to be able to do that and switch out and do huge runs it's it's super exciting but it's also well and 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 usually you know we've been focusing on the last years I would say uh the ski line and the flips because there's been so many 
combinations that I've put together for such a total. Mm-hmm. When do you or how do you weigh going out and learning a toe trick and putting that into your run when no one's really seemed to be focused on that aspect? Or maybe they are, and I just don't know. Um, well, I mean, for me, like over COVID, I learned like toe line five back. I learned both toe line back. And so I kind of was like, okay, like let's try and learn these, get them consistent, and then try and put them into your run. However, you learn a trick, that's one step. And then getting it consistent is the second step. Putting in it to your run it would be the third. And then like getting it quick enough to actually make sense is uh so it's very time consuming. What from when I learn a trick to when I think it's actually worth it to use it. And so I like have done the same toe run for like a very long time and I have different variations that I can do, but it doesn't always make sense. And so I think too, like once, once I feel super confident in a run, that's when I feel like I can do it at a big competition. So I don't always feel like I need to pull something out. I have a few times and I typically change my hand run, not my toe run because the toe line fives are a little bit newer. But maybe this year I'll pull some out. I don't know. We'll there see. You go. <laughs> we gotta we gotta see what kind of the competition is. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you learn those big tricks and they're awesome. They're so cool to watch. But if you don't get them in time, your run is yeah. worth less than your easier run that you stand up every single time. And so it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was interesting too on that same conversation, uh, just from a spectator view. And I think I'm advocating is in, in, in any trick conversation I get into these days, when I was announcing on that Masters with Brent and Tom Larson, one of the things that they noticed that I have forgotten was they said there's no horn. Yeah. That was one of the big things they said. I said, you're right. I said, everything's gone digital. And so sometimes even as an athlete, you know, I don't know if, 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 anyone's on the dock with a stopwatch, you know, to get a ballpark number on where things are in and out of time. But you bring up a great point in the, in the sense that, yeah, I, and I've announced tournaments this way. The run looks great. The problem is it went for 27 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, that That's a whole, I mean, yeah, you need to do the trick. You need to do them. Well, they have to be credited because otherwise it's not worth it either, but then you also have to get in time. So there's like, a very long process. I think that goes into that and just making sure the trick is perfect every single time and consistent and it makes sense and it's credit and all of those things. I mean, for me to get certain runs in time, it, I am like pushing falling a lot of the times because it's almost like you're trying to go fast and then you're almost out of control. So it's like a, for some runs that I was doing, even for collegiate runs, like there would be some times where and my brother would be a great example of this. He goes so incredibly fast that he is like out of control. He is just like, he is going so fast. And so there's like a fine line between that too, is how fast can you go without just falling because you're going maybe too fast and you catch an edge or whatever that may be. Oh, I, I like all those answers. Here's, here's something real special in the sport of water skiing. We are in the centennial year, a hundred years of celebrating skiing so I wanted to ask you what does the centennial mean to you I think I mean I've grown up water skiing my whole life but I mean one thing that I think is super cool to me is just that my my whole family has done it I mean a lot of like even the nationals like my grandfather has skied my dad has skied my mom has skied and then 
um, Ella, Ryan, and I have all skied too. And so I think that is super cool, just like seeing the generations come down of like who started skiing. And um, my parents obviously are very knowledgeable. My grandfather's very knowledgeable. I mean, he's the one who helped my dad with a lot of the things at Masterline. And I never even realized that. He's like, oh yeah, you know, you think about this and then you can change this. And I'm like, oh, you thought of that? Wait, what? That's so cool. And um, he's, he knows so much about uh, water skiing and just the history of water skiing. And so I think that's so cool just being able to learn um, even from my grandparents and then just being able to ski and compete all together. Um, I mean, water skiing really is a family sport or it can be if your family does it. And so I think that's one thing that's really cool is that we can just do it all together, whether that be my parents or my grandparents or my siblings or whoever that may be, um, we can all do it. And so I think, I think that's super cool. Awesome, awesome. As a follow-up question, what is your favorite memory? I think my favorite memory would be winning worlds in 2015, just because I don't know. I look back at that world and I was like 15 years old. It was my first open world that I was ever qualified for. I don't remember even like knowing that I could trip 10,000 points. I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't remember knowing that. And so my goal going to Mexico was I just wanted to make the finals. Like that was it. Like I just thought it was super cool. I made open worlds. I was super excited to ski and all I wanted to do was make the finals and I tricked 9,000 something in the prelims and Neely was top seed and I was second seed going into the finals and I tricked a PB and a national championship record and one with 10,000 10 points and I think I just was like so confused <laughs> I was like <laughs> I just tricked 10,000 points and I, I like I just was mind blown um and so I think that was one thing. I just was definitely the underdog at that time. I had no idea. I was young, my a little bit naive. My dad didn't really tell me like, oh, if you go out there, you could trick this much and then you could win. He was just like, just go have fun. Just try and stand up, like do your normal thing. And so, and that was so cool. I mean, my, my dad was there. My mom was home with my siblings. Um, so she wasn't able to come, but my grandfather was there. So that was super cool. Um, all of us being there together and so yeah that was probably definitely one of my favorite memories it was just it was very cool and it was just cool to have my my family there and just be there all together um but yeah it was also just very I don't know surprising a little bit <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well Anna this has been a great interview and I want to give you the opportunity to give a handoff to all the listeners on where they can find you or a shout out to your sponsors so here's your time to give any of those shout outs. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. I appreciate you having me. I'm actually in the process right now. I'm going to launch a website. Um, it's just anagay.com.org. I don't remember what the, the link is to it. Anyways, um, but it's going to have in, instructional trick videos on there. And so kind of one thing I wanted to do this year is just try and help others who I mean, I'm very fortunate. I have parents that can teach me to ski. They know the ins and outs of trick skiing. Um, but I think trekking can be extremely frustrating, especially if you just are trying the same thing over and over. You may not know how to start doing a trick. And so my goal this year is just to have some instructional trick videos online so that people who may not have coaching readily available to them can go there and watch these. So that's one thing I just wanted to put out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm so grateful to Ski Bama, to Lyman Hardy for letting me, us use his lake and my parents 
for all that they've done for me. And then of course, Masterline, Naughty, Team Germany, all of my sponsors. I'm just, I couldn't do any of what I do without them. It's definitely a team effort. So I appreciate everybody who supports me. Well, that's awesome. Well, we'll be looking forward to watching what you're doing on the water here in 2022 and be cheering for you. And congratulations on graduating. Thank you, Tyler. All right. We'll catch up with you maybe sometime in the next couple of years. And uh, like I said, we're looking forward to it. And uh, if, if anybody else wants to reach uh, Anna or her dad, I know Russell's out there and Russell's, I mean, too, before we sign off, Russell was one of those coaches that along my way, when I was a junior, I remember him driving me and coaching. <laughs> uh, he would come down to Texas and he would just swing by and, and do some junior development type of stuff. And it was just unbelievable, the knowledge. I was like, man, if I could ever just like ski <laughs> with somebody like that for more than like a couple days or a week, that I would know. be amazing. So um, reach out to Russell too, I'm sure. I'm sure your dad wouldn't yeah. mind that. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, well, signing off and we'll catch up with you soon. Perfect, thank you, Tyler. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and come back to catch future episodes as we chat with water ski legends and current stars of each of the sports disciplines as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of water skiing. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida. We'll see you next time.